disruptors and curious minds. Welcome to another episode of Thinking on Paper. My name is Jeremy Gilbertson, futurist, builder at the intersection of music, tech, and story. Along with me is a very talented writer, lore creator, sense maker from the mountains of France, Mr. Mark Fielding. Welcome, sir. How are you? Hi, Jeremy. I'm awesome. Thank you. Yeah, disruptors and curious minds are our official tagline. Love it. Um, yeah, it's been that's, a, that's a, actually big news. We had a we had a, a WhatsApp message about that today. Uh, it's been solidified, voted upon, so you will start seeing it on our site and other deliverables. Yeah, so. if we say disruptors and curious minds, we're talking to the Thinking on Paper audience. It's been a great week for me. Like you mentioned, I've been doing some law writing, and this week the artwork for some of these characters for this computer game I've been writing has started to be developed. So I'm seeing my my ideas taking shape, which is incredible. Um, but, uh, I've done, yeah, a lot of work, did some technical writing for blockchain this week. I've been writing about, um, education and AR and the metaverse for culture three for our friends at culture three. So oh, yeah. that's yeah. been kind of channeling my, what's his name? I never get, it's like Yuval Noah Harari, like thinking about education, oh, which is very, yeah, all that. Yep. yeah mm-hmm. which is very pertinent for our guest today, but I actually also, before that, I did my onboarding with Ripple this week, our sponsors. Amazing. Perfect segue, Mark. Yeah. Uh, so we want to give a shout out to uh, Dixie and Ray and the whole team at Ripple, W-R-I-P-P-L-E, Marketing's on-demand talent platform. If you're a large organization looking for some marketing superpowers, they are a great platform and resource for you to bring in project-based work, but also find your next superstar. Uh, so uh, com. You can actually find Mark and myself, or soon to be Mark, and myself yeah. on that platform should you need the work that we do. So uh, we're super happy to be, um, uh, I guess, supported by an organization that we actually do some work with, right? And it's not just this this ad thing, we're actually part of what they're doing and really believe in their mission as well. So yeah. uh, check them out. Dixie's always in the thread if you have questions about that. So let's talk about That's where great. we're headed today. You know, we're always at the- at Where the, are we heading today, Jeremy? It's a great question. Let's see if we can pull it off. So, so part of what we try to do, right, is explore this intersection between culture and emerging tech. I think our guest today is probably one of the, one of the most perfect- uh, folks to sit that sits at that intersection, like literally every day. Um, and we want to talk about, uh, things like accessibility of technology, right? We want to talk about not just accessibility of tech for the people consuming the content, but the people actually creating the content, right? And there are obvious mismatches between, you know, the availability of that and, and to who it's available. Um, and then secondly, kind of this idea of telling these, amazing stories uh, from from the past that actually can be brought to new life using tech in a way that generates emotion and empathy and all of those things in super meaningful ways. Yeah. Um, how would I do? On a much more emotional, visceral level, if, you're, if those stories are immersive, if you're part of them, if you can interact with the people and the places and the time, there's going to be more of a learning experience but also more of a emotional resonance isn't there so yeah it's well explained absolutely without further ado we are super excited to to bring on our guest a fellow atlantan so the atlanta community has now on outnumbered the 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 french alps um yolanda 
Barton, welcome to the show. So great to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, Jeremy and Mark. Thank you for the introduction. Amazing. So let's let's jump in. I, I know there are a lot of really cool threads we want to we want to explore, but why don't you give us a little bit on your background as it relates to how you landed in this amazingly compelling and interesting intersection of of culture and emerging tech. Let's let's talk about that first. Yeah, sure, no problem. I'm originally born and raised in Seattle, and for most people that um, live there today, they don't even realize that a lot of music legacies and amazing talent came from that city. Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain, Quincy Jones launched his career and was raised there. There's there's a long list of names. And you got to ask yourself how a city like that has birthed so much. There you go. So much Great amazing word. talent and um, genius in that space. And I was raised around it. So I feel really lucky and proud to be a part of that history. But like most people, I left for a very long time after college and lived my adult years other places. And then as an adult, I wanted to bring my kids back there, except I couldn't find the community that I came from. And I really couldn't find a trace of that history to share with them. So I was really in a mad race to find out what I could do to urgently preserve what I felt like was vanishing. And that's how I joined tech. That's how tech became useful because it was about preserving history and preserving legacy so that no matter who lives in those spaces, people can still connect to that legacy and be inspired by it. So we don't lose the opportunity to connect with our past, and Brett, what I just, feel that can just be. just so we can like trace your your, your journey in this. What year was this? Two thousand um, sixteen through two thousand nineteen, um, and then two thousand nineteen, I got the chance to speak at Oculus headquarters to leadership about my vision for immersive tech, specifically with them virtual reality, and then they invited me to Oculus Launchpad. And that was great because what that did was gave me a chance to stop talking about the theory of the work, right? Now let's build the application. And so I built an amazing team and we created an immersive experience that recreated the neighborhood that I'm from, the Central District of Seattle. And we built an opportunity to preserve Jimi Hendrix's legacy, Quincy Jones, Ray Charles, Ernestine Anderson, Sir Mix-a-Lot. I mean, that list is long, but now people can experience that and, and visit this neighborhood um, so we're working on completing that now, and we're excited that Oculus will be making an announcement that our prototype won the competition, and we're ready to share this vision and the opportunity to preserve stories and history for everyone to experience. To, now, to, I, I see why you two know each other and have worked together, because I think probably what you just said is music to Jeremy's ears. Yeah. Um, well, well played, Mark. Well played. Yeah. yeah. What two two points or one point and then one question for you, Yolanda? The the first point is you know this. Congrats on on making that transition between uh, beautiful idea and execution because that is often the most difficult piece of the puzzle. To to to, to my grandfather used to say, land the damn plane already, right? <laughs> So it's kind of like you, you took it, you figured out a way to execute. So congrats to that uh, question so related to it. When you were at Oculus and you were presenting um, your vision, your your story, what you thought, your strategy, what do you think resonated with them the most to be like, man, we got to have Yolanda in this incubator? You know, I really want to say it's the creators more than anything. Like, The developers, the people who are building this landscape and working diligently every day, creating towards this future, they also want to be inspired. 
They also want to feel like there's something they connect to. So I'm constantly seeing from the people who are developers, especially in Launchpad, all of those developers like actually voted me number one on the leadership board, which says what? Like I'm the other in, in every industry that I'm in. I don't fall into the gamer community as much. I'm in the other category. And sometimes my name is the only one there. So for them to select me, choose me, vote me into the number one spot um, for that leadership board shows that they see the power of doing something different and bringing something new to the table. I do think that a lot of developers are bored and they want to create things that will resonate with humanity. They want to feel connected to this kind of experience. And we just need to give people more opportunities to build. Yeah, I think that's quite a a, a powerful observation that developers do want something more than what their, their bread and butter is telling them to do. Yeah. Yeah. Use their, use your powers for good kind of thing, right? There's always that. You know, always that mission. I would be remiss if I didn't uh, stoke the fires a little bit uh, related to. So we're, we're talking about development. There are a couple of uh, main development engines that are out there. There's there's Unreal. There's Unity, um, and Unity has been in the news uh, quite a bit lately. Yes. For um, I mean, I don't think it's wrong to to try and monetize your platform. But how how are you seeing what is happening with Unity resonate in the developer community? You know. I- I'm hearing a lot from all sides of it, right? And Unity is the tool that we used also. Like we built our experience on the Quest. And so we primarily use Unity as well. I think communication is important and connecting with the community that you're serving is really important to understand um, what challenges you can create and what challenges you can alleviate. And that is sort of like, Part of what I think the conversation that needs to take place is, is what is it that you need to continue to be such a great tool for people to use? And what do the people you're serving need? And what are the audiences that are just beginning? Like, don't forget about the beginners. We don't, we don't talk enough about the people who are just stepping foot in this industry and are just learning these tools. And what do they need to be successful? Right. So there's so many different sides of that conversation. um, And we could be here for two days having it. Totally. Um, but I do think some important conversations need to take place and it, there has to be a balance in meeting everyone's needs. And you're right. There's nothing wrong with wanting to monetize on your platform, considering you are a stellar platform to use. Um, but how we do that and the swift choices we make often aren't the easiest ones that will create the most harmony in the people that are using your products either. So I, I look forward to, if, if Unity is open to it, I look forward to helping them craft that story and that conversation so that it can really meet the needs of everyone. Jeremy, just for any listeners who aren't up to speed on what's happening um, with the Unity, um, I saw it's quoted as a debacle earlier. Could you, could you just cast a little light on what's been happening? I think it largely, and Yolanda, you you said it so succinctly, I think the, the, the main problem uh, boils down to communications, right? And very uh, rapid choices, probably driven by uh, financial challenges, right? From you know, because they, uh, if you look at it long term, from a from a platform perspective, they haven't done really well financially, right? Over the long term, um, so there probably was a moment where they're like, man, we got to figure out how to generate some revenue. Then it was, it's seemingly. I don't want to call it a knee jerk. I'm not in this at all. I'm just reading it peripherally. But assuming that, you know, it basically was like, hey, all right, we got to do this and then start charging for certain aspects of the platform where it used to be free. 
and developers have basically put tons of time and energy into building on that platform. And now it's like, wait a minute. So the financial metrics are going to change. So then they came back and went for it's communication is the biggest challenge. Right. And it's like, it's the first technology, right? Communication is our first technology. We start with letters and talking and stories and songs and all of that, but we still haven't quite figured that out. (laughs) So that's my understanding of it. But let's 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 push that aside. I didn't want to spend too much time on it, but I definitely wanted to touch on it. Yolanda, I, I want to hear more about this this experience that you're building, but I also want to hear about um, – I want to move into kind of the inclusion topic, right? So accessibility to technology. Let's talk about that and let's talk about some of the work that you're doing to make sure um, it is accessible to all the people that want to create and use it. Can I just go back to your first question there? Because I'm really, just so we know, could you walk us through the experience? So then when we're, if we're open, then we're going to talk about the access, accessibility, what that might mean for people, what they can expect just from a, a visitor and a developer perspective. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk. I mean, accessibility, like we are paving over rich history on a daily basis in our like race to build the latest and greatest, whether that's, buildings or technology, we are constantly paving over profound memories in geographic spaces. So what does it mean to preserve that history prior to building over it, right? That makes it accessible because in our race to create it, we're losing access to history. We're losing access to memories. And these are the things that have inspired us and shaped our overall human essence of where we're going, who we are, who we want to be, and honestly, who we don't want to be too, And so we want to create access and emerging technology can be a bridge for that access. But I want access to be able to teleport to moments in history that we no longer can experience. So for you, Mark, like who doesn't want to see what the early days of the Beatles looked like in Liverpool? Right. Or for Jeremy, what what does it look like for us to be able to have John Lewis and Dr. Martin Luther King teach us the civil rights movement and emerging technology where we can be front row seat? right here in Atlanta. And just because Mark's in London, he should still be able to access that history in Atlanta as well. So what would that look like if our stories were connecting us, if they were the bridges for what we want to create in our own personal story and the story of humanity? Um, And so where I think we're going wrong is the word inclusion has become so oversaturated that it's just an objective that everyone puts on their website or their social media or their mission and their values. Like, let's weave that that thread right on into what we're saying, but real inclusion requires access and it requires action. And so if we were taking a different approach to technology's ability, if we really want to innovate, then that innovation has to be a direct reflection of how diverse our team is because the power of inclusion and diverse perspectives really do fuel that innovation and that disruption. So we need all those voices. We need that lived experience from a variety of cultures and people and places. And that's going to lead to better solutions that really serve the larger spectrum of humanity. So, you know, I'm not trying to bang and, and bag on all the technology companies right now, but you move so quickly that you're not really paying attention to how your technology can be introduced to people beyond those that look like you in the spaces that you are used to being in, in the conversations you're used to having, like, honestly, if every day you're talking to the same people in the same spaces, if every um, thing that you're doing is surrounded by people that all look like you, I don't care what you put in your mission and values, it's not inclusive. And what it really looks like, and what we focus on in our team is, 
how to involve, evolve into a real hub of collaboration where engineers and designers and programmers and artists and creators from a myriad of backgrounds converge to create solutions that are going to resonate with everyone and really like the whole spectrum of humanity. And so it's really not about taking boxes. It's not. It's the team has to mirror the world in order for us to create and design technology for everyone. And this concept is not just limited to tech, right? It's, it's not a vessel unto, or it's, it is a vessel and it's not an entity unto itself. It's, this is a way we can craft a new reality where we all can participate. And I think we're moving really quickly ahead without plugging in other people, other cultures, other spaces into that technology that really can lead us to the future that we want to get to. Is it like a, an elitist problem in emerging tech? I think it's clear. Is it how, okay, how do we make that vision or how are you making that vision a reality, Yolanda? What, what, are, the, what are you doing and what can we do? Yeah, you know, it's what I can say is I think the culture of tech has been um, kind of siloed. And so what do we do to open up that space to more people, right? I'm currently writing a book now called Unapologetic Tech. And what it means is that, like, I don't come from a a traditional tech background. Does that mean I don't belong? And that's something that I'm always being told. That's not what tech is for, Yolanda. And you don't have any official tech training. So what's your role in this industry? Well, I have vision and I have purpose and I have the desire to use technology to connect us and bridge divides, the divide between generations, the divide between communities that do not have access to tech and large tech companies. There's a lot of divides to bridge. And so at Revere, we feel like we can just be an example. So let's show you what it means to go city to city, country to country, and preserve history and make it accessible to everyone so that you can experience and have access to history. Whether it belongs to you or not, it's an opportunity to shape your story and to experience someone else's. And it's an uncharted realm where technology and humanity intertwine in ways that I believe are unapologetically transformative. And I'm welcoming you all to the world of unapologetic tech. That sounds like a fascinating um, philosophy. And, and Reed, you have to keep us posted when when, yeah, when, when, that gets when can out. we read that? It's a, it's an awesome title as well. It's Thank great. you so much. Coming soon. There you go. Not yeah. All right. Cool. We'll stay on that. Um, so I want to I want to point. I, I want to kind of talk about a couple of things that you said. Number one, um, you know, being in tech circles because I, I I am as well. Um, you know, I'm not a developer, you know, I'm not a, you know, I'm not an architect, but, you know, I am someone who understands the pieces and parts of technology, but also to apply them out to meaningful use cases. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I totally hear what you're saying. Cause I get in some circles too, where I don't quite fit square peg round hole. Right. Yeah. Um, but the, the important thing is like tech for tech sake really isn't anything, but applied tech to human purpose is kind of where it is. And it sounds like that's one of the, one of the superpowers that, that emerge out of your wheelhouse. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, I think it's really approaching a new philosophy, right? So how do we create an opportunity for poets to collaborate with programmers? How do we take the expertise of coders and um, combine that with insights from caregivers and teachers and artists and elders and visionaries. How does a coder in Mumbai work with an AI um, artist in Tokyo? Like this is what the new landscape of tech needs to look like because like in the vast expanse of like binary codes, 
there is room for stories. There's room for laughter. There's room for tears. There's room for our dreams and our greatest aspirations. And I think this is the next level for tech to approach. Like if you really want these digital worlds to take off and be something different than the world that we exist in now with all these divisions, if you want to create a way for that to be a path for the true power of human essence and inclusion, we need to plug more people in. We need to make it the norm to see people that look different and think different and approach things differently and have different backgrounds and lived experiences to really be able to become leaders in tech. And I'm ready for tech to really welcome that and accept that new reality. On, on the accessibility side, let's let's uh, drop back there a little bit because it's this is this is a, a, a multi headed monster from a problem perspective, right? So if I look at all of that, I see, you know, the, the, the consumer side hardware as a piece of that, Mm -hmm. but you also look at like things like internet connection, internet availability, uh, that as well, just two of the things to, to, to kind of consider how, how are you, how have you found as you land in these geographies and kind of work on some of that stuff? Are you involved in kind of uh, stoking the fires on on available availability to to internet kind of stuff too. Um, I wouldn't say that that's our only priority, but one thing that I think is okay. So for VR headsets, amazing technology, right? And they're starting to consider what it means to put it on different people's heads of different backgrounds. Like, can it fit over my hair? Can we start there? Right. And so I'm looking at that and saying that's still something that's growing. Like not every household is going to have access to a VR headset, but everyone has access to a phone. And how can we be using AR to create footprints through every city that allow us to experience history and to engage with legacies and elders and lived experience that can give us more access as well? You know, um, my CTO, uh, uh, Curling Robinson, was one of the founders of Net Zero, like wanting to make internet accessible to everyone. And you've got great programs in schools that are supporting low-income families to have free internet so that they have access. I mean, it's just an example of what it really means to bring people along with us because some of those youth that come from those homes, now that they have access to internet, they're going to be able to create solutions years from now that are going to continue to push the future of tech. So the sooner we plug people in, And the sooner we make it accessible to communities that don't traditionally have access, the further we're going to go. And so um, in my early days, prior to building Revere XR, I used to host events, and I just call them plug-in events. Anyone, come in and put a headset on. An elder, high school students, um, people in art, people in aviation. Like, let's actually get you plugged in so you can consider the possibilities. And one thing that I can say is every time we do plug someone in, you can see the wheels turning. You can see the shift happening. People are inspired and they immediately say, I can see this working in schools or I can see this, like the ideas come. So it's, there's no shortage of ideas. There's no shortage of people that want to explore the possibilities. We just need to create more opportunities where we're showing more um, action and ambition in bringing these voices to the table. And maybe we we need less tables with less seats. Maybe we need more microphones so that people can use their voices and share their stories. And that's what people really need to hear. And people will value them. Like we all value each other's lived experience. There is empathy and emotional connection that exists within us. So why is it so unheard of? to use technology in this way? And why is that something that people are still pondering on or considering? Like we have arrived, it's time to create that. 
it's maybe not a question for right now, but internet access is a human right, free internet access to everybody. Is that something which isn't too far off or something we should be aiming for before before a lot of other things that we seem to be focusing on? I feel like that should absolutely be the norm without saying, I mean, there really shouldn't be any situation where we're still contemplating that everyone needs access, all of us, every, and I look at that and say, it's not just my neighborhood that had history to preserve, like every neighborhood, every community, every city, every country, every family, every company, everyone has a story. So what does it mean to make that accessible and allow people to experience it or interact with it or engage with it? Um, That experiential learning is what's going to shape the future of of education. It's going to shape the future of our connection. And that should be taking place in libraries and malls and museums and airports. And and those are places we're looking to bring this this, uh, relived history experiential experiences. Yeah, one one quick thought on that. So even even taking it a step back. So I've been for those who've been listening for the last few weeks, I've been talking about a book I've been reading called The High Frontier that was written back in like 1976 by the same physicist from Princeton that basically developed storage rings for particle colliders. Basically a massive invention that everyone uses to this day, but he had this idea and he said that we had the tech to uh, to live in space in communities in space in 1976 and really interesting but one thing he pointed back to was a an economic equation and the economic equation was uh access to power uh is 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 correlated to uh to wealth or the potential for um obtaining wealth right so like if you don't have power you can't really there's a lot of things that you can't do right so there's that piece of the puzzle there's still a lot of places that don't have reliable power but then yeah. this in this economy and where we're headed you're absolutely right like the internet access has to has to kind of happen to to allow people the opportunity just the opportunity yes. 